Welcome to episode 167 of the Fitness Simplified Podcast. I'm your host, Kim Schlag. On today's episode, we're talking New Year's resolutions, New Year's goals, and what to do if you feel like you are failing at them already. Day 13 of the new year, and I know a lot of people are feeling really stressed because things are not just smooth sailing. I talked on my Instagram stories and put out a poll about what's going well with New Year's goals for people and what's not going so well. And I've selected six of the women who said, hey, here's what's not going well to address today. So we're going to look at their specific issues so that you can take some lessons from each of these to see like, okay, what can I do to help me improve at meeting my New Year's goals this year? Ready? Let's do it. Hello, hello, my friend. It is January 13th as I'm recording this. The bright, shiny New Year glow is already beginning to fade for some as the daily work to achieve the goals that you set begin to really feel like work. And that initial burst of motivation might not feel so strong. And yet the results aren't showing yet because frankly, it's just too soon. So let's talk about what to do now. I put up a question box on Instagram yesterday asking what you're struggling with in terms of your New Year's goals. I did one the previous day celebrating your New Year's wins, and it's important to reflect on both the wins and the struggles to provide insight on what to do moving forward. If we just focus on one or just the other, that doesn't give us all of the insight we need to move forward with our goals in the most successful way. So let's dig into some of your comments from the question box and see what we can learn. We're going to start with Nimble Monkey. Nimble Monkey says, I have been sick for the last few days and I have lost all momentum. Okay, first, Nimble Monkey, I'm super sorry that you're sick and I hope you're feeling better soon, if not already. So let's talk about building momentum. So I'm a child of the 70s, was built, born, not built. (laughs) I was born in 1970. Uh, And when you think about playgrounds in the 70s, they're so different than playgrounds now. A little like like death parks, right? There's a lot of dangerous equipment on the playgrounds, but we sure had a lot of fun. And I loved the merry-go-rounds. We didn't have one at like my elementary school playground, but we had one of these metal merry-go-rounds at a church near my grandmother's house. We spent a lot of time at my grandmother's house and just around the corner from her was this church and they had this park with this metal merry-go-round. Now, if you can't picture what I'm talking about, picture a big metal disc that has handlebars all around it that go from the center point of the disc out to the edge of the disc, right? So it looks like a big piece of pizza with handlebars that go from the center out to the edge. And there's usually, depending on the size of the piece of equipment, usually like eight of these handlebar type things. And what you would do is at least one person, if not the whole group, would stand on the ground holding on to the handlebar and you would run as fast as you could holding on to the handlebar until you got this big metal disc spinning and then you would jump on. You could do this alone. You could do it with other people and you would jump on and then you it would spin you around and around and around. Right now today, if I tried that, I would barf, like completely barf. I can't even get on a swing without getting sick. But at the time, this was my absolute favorite. Now, the hardest part of getting this thing started were those first steps, okay? So you grab onto it. It's not moving at all. It's this heavy piece of metal. And so those first steps were a bit of a slog. 
That was definitely not the fun part. We didn't get very far at first. Like you would, especially if you were doing it by yourself, which I absolutely would sometimes, we would just be there with my brother and sister and I, and we would be trying to play on whatever we wanted to. I'd be alone on this thing and trying to get that big metal thing moving on my own. Those first step steps, I did not feel like I was getting anywhere, but they were essential to propelling me forward. You need those small trudging steps in the beginning. And it is the same way when you're trying to build your momentum. So with that merry-go-round where we're trying to build momentum of spinning the disc, you're trying to build the momentum towards moving towards your goals. So you need those small trudging steps when you're just starting. And you might not feel like you're getting very far, but it just takes one small step to get moving again. And that's the awesome thing. First of all, you've only been sick for a few days. Uh, Sometimes people come back after having been gone from doing their fitness routines for a really long time. So whether it's been a few days or a long time, you literally just need one small step to get it moving again. And then another, and then another, and then another. And those beginning steps are going to feel like a bit of a slog. What I want you to think about doing is selecting for those first steps, something that you have the least resistance to doing so that you continue going on. So maybe for you, that's going to the gym, or maybe for you, that's going for a walk or drinking a protein shake or eating your favorite healthy breakfast. Any step that is in the direction of your goal, pick just one step, okay? What is one healthy habit that you feel confident you can do? I want you to think of a scale from one to 10, with one being not gonna happen and 10 being easy peasy. I want you to rate the habit that you're thinking about choosing, okay? The action, the behavior. We're not going to call it habit yet. Right now, it's not a habit, right? You haven't, you haven't been doing it. The behavior that you're going to attempt, I want you to pick something that is a minimum of an eight on the scale of one to 10. 10 is easy peasy. One is not going to happen. Pick something that's an eight. If that is two, if you're like, everything I pick is not an eight, make us pick a smaller version of that, okay? So instead of I'm going to eat a salad every day, I'm going to eat a salad one time. I'm going to, if you're like, look, I don't even want to make a salad. I'm going to go and buy a pre-made salad. So look for a smaller version of a habit if you're struggling to find something that gets you to an eight on that one to 10 list. Okay, just do that one thing. Do it several times. Do it till it feels easy. And then add in another thing and another behavior and another behavior until you're starting to identify again as an active person, as a healthy eater, as a person who trains. And you'll do more and more things that are in line with that identity as you begin to identify as that healthy person, active person, person who trains. Start small, get through those first slogging steps, and that's how you're going to rebuild momentum. You got this, Nimble Monkey. All right, moving on. Our next one, Janice Garrett Craig says she is struggling with reducing slash cutting out chocolate. A lot of people right now are looking to reduce the amount of sweets that they are eating. And I'm glad you added in here, reduce the amount of chocolate, not just cutting out chocolate because cutting out chocolate is not realistic for most of us because, because while we like chocolate, when we're honest, when we think about long-term enjoyment of life, chocolate plays a role. Like I don't want to envision a world in which I never again eat a warm chocolate chip cookie. Like I'm not, I'm not interested in that life. So I love that you're thinking in terms of reducing the amount of chocolate, not just cutting it out, that you put that out there as an option is awesome. Now, one of the reasons you're likely struggling with this goal is because of how you've 
framed this goal. In the literature, they use the terms approach goals and avoidance goals. You have formulated here an avoidance goal. I'm going to eat less chocolate. You're talking in terms of what you don't what, want. You don't want to eat too much chocolate. And research supports the idea that, in fact, avoidance goals such as these are not as successful as approach goals. So approach goals are goals where you are working towards achieving a certain outcome versus trying not to do something. So let me give you a few examples of avoidance goals, and then we'll switch those to approach goals so you can kind of get a flavor for what I'm talking about here. So an example of an avoidance goal would be, I want to stay off my phone after dinner. Okay, I'm going to avoid staying off, der- off my phone after dinner. Another example of an avoidance goal would be, I want to stop hitting the snooze button every morning. Those are both avoidance goals. You're trying to stop doing something. You're trying to not to do something. Okay, so let's frame those now in terms of approach goals. After dinner, I will go for a walk with my family. In the morning, when my alarm goes off, I'm going to get up, I'm going to sit on my comfy chair and read a book for 15 minutes. Those approach goals are achieving the same aims of the avoidance goals, but framing them in this way has been shown to be more successful. So do you see how they're really the same? I want to stay off my phone after dinner is telling you what you don't want to do after dinner. And after dinner, I'm going to go for a walk with my family is telling you what you are going to do. Okay. Approach goals are more successful. Let's do the other one. I want to stop hitting the snooze button every morning. Okay. So you're telling yourself what you don't want to do. What do you want to do in the morning? When my alarm goes off, I'm going to get up. I'm going to walk over 10 steps and sit in my comfy chair and read my book for 15 minutes. That tells you what you do want to do. So Janice, we know what you don't want to do. You don't want to be eating so much chocolate. The question is, what do you want to be eating? Do you want to eat more nutrient-dense food? You could set a goal to have 80% of your calories come from minimally processed nutrient-dense foods. That will leave less room for chocolate, right? Do you want to set it up in terms of eating 25 to 30 grams of fiber per day and 0.7 grams per pound of your target body weight in pounds of protein daily? If you do those two things, that is going to leave a lot less room for chocolate, but you're talking about what you are going to do. I am going to eat X amount of fiber and X amount of protein. Maybe you tend to eat a lot of the chocolate that you eat while you're grazing throughout the day. You know, your hand is always in the bag of the Hershey Kisses over and over and over. Do you want to set a goal that you will eat all food while seated at a table with the portion you've selected on a plate or a bowl and the package is put away before you eat it? Okay, lots of options that you can play around with to formulate an approach goal and see what works best for you. You don't have to do all of those things I just said. You could select one of those things to work at. Over time, layering those things could be a really powerful formula for you to not be eating so much chocolate. But any one of those would be a great way to formulate an approach goal. Now, I have a couple other considerations around this topic. I actually have a lot to say on this topic of reducing how much chocolate you're eating. Let's talk about two more things. So the second thing I want you to consider outside of approach versus avoidance goals is the fact that our words matter. How we define ourselves matter. Are you a person who calls yourself a chocoholic? So many people are. So many people have like magnets and mugs and t-shirts and they just say it. It's part of their vernacular. Like, oh, I'm a chocoholic. 
And they do this really glibly without realizing the power that they're giving to this name, this title, this identity. You're a chocoholic. What does this mean? It means you have no control around chocolate. You eat entirely too much. You can't stop eating it. You're ruled by chocolate. If you tell yourself this enough, if you assume this identity, you will act in accordance with it. It is who you are. Is it any wonder you are you keep on eating all those mini crackle bars in your coworker's candy bowl? After all, you're a chocoholic. What if you stopped telling yourself that? What if instead you told yourself that you're a person who is practicing eating chocolate in moderation? I want you to notice two things about how I just framed that. You see, it's different, right? It's very different because you're telling yourself something that you are going to do that is what you actually want. You don't want to be a chocoholic. You want to be a person who's eating in chocolate in moderation. But you're not just saying, I'm a person who eats chocolate in moderation, because what would you know about that? You'd know that that's a big friggin' lie, right? You're not a person who eats chocolate in moderation. You're a person who really overeats chocolate. But you can be a person who is practicing eating chocolate in moderation. You could be that person today. You could be a person practicing eating chocolate in moderation. This is really, really important. You don't want to be disingenuous. You're not going to believe yourself, right? It can be 100% true that you love chocolate and that you're a person who is practicing eating it in moderation. True, right? That's true. All right. So stop identifying as a chocolateaholic if that's something you're currently doing. And then the last consideration, and this is super important as well, it doesn't, I'm sorry if you can hear my dogs barking. Whenever somebody arrives home, they like to greet them with frantic barking. And I believe my husband just pulled into the garage. Hopefully it's not too overwhelmingly loud and they will, they'll stop soon. Okay. So the last consideration is it does not make you better. It does not make you stronger. It does not make you a higher level human. If you keep all the chocolate in your immediate environment while you're practicing eating it in moderation. In fact, it makes you strategic and smart to curate your environment to be in line with your goals. So stop keeping your home, your desk, your purse filled with chocolate. For a time, when you decide to have chocolate, go out and get it, preferably in single serve portions. So like a pack of Reese's Cup instead of a bag of Reese's Cups a chocolate ice cream cone instead of a half gallon of chocolate ice cream. Over time, you'll be able to reintroduce it into your home, into your environment, in these bigger size portions. But for now, give yourself the most optimal environment that you can. And I want you to know, I can really relate to you here. I love chocolate. I love chocolate cookies, chocolate cake, chocolate covered nuts, chocolate pretzels, all the forms of chocolate. And there was a time when I felt super out of control around chocolate. Right now, I have a pan of brownies sitting on my kitchen counter. They've been there all day. Actually, they've been there. It's been like 24 hours. They've been there. Today, I do not have a brownie planned into my deficit calories because I want to go out to dinner. Okay, we're going to get some takeout tonight. And I'm good with that. I can manage to not eat a brownie now, even though the pan is right there on my kitchen counter and I've I've walked by it many, many times today, but I had to practice my way there. Start by curating your environment for your success. You got this, Janice. You're going to work on, did I just call you Janet? Janice, Janice, <laughs> you've got this. So you're going to work on curating your environment to help you be successful. 
you're going to stop identifying as a chocoholic and begin identifying as a person practicing eating chocolate in moderation. And you're going to work on setting your goal up in a way that tells you what to do instead of what not to do. You got this. Good luck. Keep me posted. All right. Next up. This one is from Jenny Ren 21. She says, I have no enjoyment in training anymore, so I'm still not going to the gym. Okay, Jen, there's a couple of key points here, and they're going to seem to actually contradict one another at first, but they actually go hand in hand really nicely. The first one is, Jen, you do a lot of things you don't enjoy because you know that they're good for you and you actually value the outcome. So like, here are some examples. Do you enjoy brushing your teeth? Like, is that a part of the day that you look forward to? Like you wake up in the morning and your eyes open and you're like, woohoo, I'm going to go brush my teeth, right? Like who does that? We don't do that. Do you enjoy keeping your vaccines up to date? Like it's fun to take out time out of your schedule to actually make the phone call, set up the appointment or get online and make the appointment and then drive to the doctor or wherever and get your shot. Like, is that super fun for you? It's not, is it? It's just something you do because you value the outcome of not getting the flu. How about washing the dishes? Is that super fun? For most of us, no. I'm sure there's some people out there who like washing dishes. Dishes, I'm not one of them. But you value having a sanitary kitchen. You value having that clean kitchen. You can and you do engage in all sorts of activities that are not fun, some on a daily basis, because you value the outcome. And it can be the same. Hang on one second. I want to shut my door again. So many people coming and going in my house. The dogs are going crazy. It can be the same with your exercise. You can do it even if it's not super enjoyable because you value reducing your risk of osteoporosis and reducing your risk of sarcopenia, reducing your risk of heart disease and diabetes and improving your mood, all of these things. Okay, so that's part one. You do things all the time that you don't enjoy because you value the outcome. So keep that in mind. Point two there are loads of forms of movement that don't involve going to the gym. When you enjoy your movement, you're way more likely to do it. So can you broaden your definition of exercise to include things other than training at the gym? So I am always going to encourage you to strength train because there are just so many benefits. But if right in this moment, you just kind of dislike it, Focus on other forms of movement. Is there a sport or an active hobby you've always wanted to try? Does your friend do something? What sounds appealing that's a way of moving your body? Start experimenting with that. And then point three, after a short break in the gym, from the gym, which it sounds like you've already taken, and maybe you can do it for a little bit longer. Like you don't, I wouldn't suggest you stay away from lifting for a long time, but taking a short break can really help you to refocus on something that's really bringing you enjoyment. So find this other way of moving. And then eventually, in addition to this new form of movement that you're experimenting, experimenting with, how can you add back in strength training? Because going back to point one, you know, you can do things that you don't enjoy because you value them. So how could you add strength training back in? Can you play around with the frequency of your workouts? Maybe reducing it down to two times a week instead of however many times you were doing it. Maybe you were doing it four times or five times per week. What if you go down to two times? What if you play around with the length of your workouts? Let's do a shorter workout. What if you play around with the style of your training? 
If you were training mostly with machines at the gym, what if you gave a go at learning how to lift with a barbell or vice versa? Your body, I have to say, I get really excited because I train at home. I'm really excited if I'm traveling or for some reason go to a gym to actually use some of the machines. I think it's really fun to do that. So looking for a way to train that is different from what you've been doing. Remember, your body does not know nor care what type of weight you're lifting, dumbbell versus barbell versus machine. It just knows stimulus. Is there enough of a stimulus or not? So you could try switching up the mode that you're using to get your lift in. You could try joining a challenge or training with a friend or getting a coach or getting a new coach if you have a coach. Any of these things so you can look for a way to spice it up. That's what I've got for you, Jenny Run. You can do this. Give some thought to these things and keep me posted. Let me know how it's going. Next up, we've got Chubby Mom Lifts, and she says, I'm definitely struggling with defining how many days equals success in a week. Seven? Five? Three? Okay. Chubby Mom Lifts, my question for you is, why are you choosing to define success in terms of number of days? There are lots of better ways to measure success. Results for one. Are you getting the results you're after? Are you losing inches or losing pounds? Are your clothes fitting better? Are you being able to do more reps of a certain exercise or lift a heavier weight? Looking in terms of streaks of success is a dicey one. One of the reasons I really don't like 75 hard, if you're not familiar with 75 hard, it's a challenge that includes, it's like seven different things you have to do daily. Uh, you have to follow a diet of your choice. You have to do two workouts per day. One of those has to be outside. They have to be 45 minutes long. You have to do a progress picture daily. You got to read 10 pages in a book. There can't be any cheat days. I think there's something about how much water you drink. I don't exactly remember because I, I haven't done it. That's a good bunch of the things you have to do. But, and here's the real kicker. As you can tell from that whole list I just read, there's a lot of reasons I don't like this program. But here's the real kicker. You're supposed to do it for 75 days in a row. If you miss any one of those things on that list that I just gave you, you have to go back and start at day one. So you could be on day 74, but you miss one of those things and you go back and you have to start over back at day one. And I just say to that, yuck, like absolute yuck, because that's not how progress works. When we think in terms of unbroken streaks, we're not recognizing the value of the process of learning from the days where we don't do the thing that we're trying to do. When we say like, don't hit our calories or our protein one day, if instead of chalking it up to, ugh, I failed and the ending of our streak, what if we reflect on that day to see, okay, what struggles presented themselves today that led to me being low in protein, that led to me being high in my calories? And how can I now adjust for those in the future? If we do that, we are still progressing forward, even though technically we failed that day. Okay. We are not at any point starting back over at day one. We are continuing on with new insights. See the difference? It's important. Okay. Now in terms of fat loss, to lose pounds, lose inches, see changes in the mirror, to do that, you do need to have a high degree of consistency. And that may be what you're getting at with this, um, point you put in the box. 
This does not need to be in the form of unbroken streaks, however. I find that when one of my Fitter After 40 members is at least 80% consistent with their calories, steps, protein, and training, that they see very good progress. Thinking of that numerically for a period of four weeks, we've got seven days in a week, that's 28 days, 80% of 28 days, that's 23 of 28 days. So out of every four weeks, if you have a minimum of 23 of those days where you hit your calories, your protein, your steps, and your workout or your rest days, whichever applies, you will likely see very good progress in terms of inches, pounds, and what you see in the mirror and in progress pictures. And, and this is important, even if you get less than 23 days and you reflect daily to see, okay, how can I improve on this? What went well? What didn't go well? What can I do in the future based on what I've learned today? This is still progress in the direction of your goal. I hope that helps. Keep me posted. All right. Up next, we have Erica McNary. Erica says, sleep. I'm a mom of five, a full-time nurse. I'm getting my master's. Sleep is hard to prioritize. Erica, Erica, you got a lot going on here. A lot. No wonder you're low on sleep. Now you didn't say what your main fitness goal is. Question box on Instagram is clearly not conducive to lots of background information. The question I'd have you consider is, is whatever fitness goal you have set taking into consideration your current life situation with compassion. Imagine your best friend came to you. And in this little scenario, let's pretend that your friend's life circumstances are exactly like yours. She's a mom of five kids. She's a full-time nurse. She's getting her master's degree. And she tells you she's working on some big goal, losing 25 pounds, running a marathon, competing in a powerlifting meet. And she wants a certain total. Okay, insert any big goal that involves a high degree of energy, time, and resources. What would you say if she came to you and was like, I'm not even able to get enough sleep in, so I'm really struggling with X goal? Would you tell her to buck up? Would you yell at her, no excuses? <laughs> would you do that? You might point out that she is asking an awful lot of herself. I want you to approach yourself with the same degree of compassion. You know, we try to break our lives up into these nice, tidy little compartments as though our health goals are not going to draw from the same bucket of time and focus and energy as all of the other demands of our life, like being a mom and a student and a full-time nurse. So I want you to ask yourself, is the goal I've set taking into consideration all of the other demands on my resources? If it is not, how can I adjust it to do so? Maybe... This is not the time to work on weight loss, Erica. Maybe it's not, but you could still work on a goal that will support weight loss long-term. Maybe you do have the resources to work on eating a salad a day or drinking a protein shake daily or getting in a 10-minute walk in the morning. Could be any number of things, but really consider whether you are compassionately considering your own life circumstances. Keep me posted, Erica. All right, our last one here, this is from Cycling Jexo. She says, physical issues are in my way. I have a plan and I'm less than patient. Two steps forward, three steps back. So Cycling Jexo, I know her name's Jen. Jen, injuries suck. 
There is no way around that. They just add, they absolutely stink. Like I've been there so many times. Being patient with your impatience is a good way to go here. Like expecting that it's normal to feel impatient. It's normal to feel frustrated. It's normal to feel like, when am I going to get back to full capacity? All of that's really normal. Try using those moments when you have those thoughts and those feelings like, ugh, why is this taking so long? I hate this. Woe is me. To one, feel your feelings fully. Like you don't have to be super cheery about being injured. You don't. You don't have to be a ray of sunshine about this. You can admit the suck. You can cry or yell. So that's first, feel your feelings fully. Two, use these moments as a cue to remind yourself that there's always something you can do. Jen, you say you have a plan. Awesome. Remind yourself of that plan, however little it is. Look, I've had a plan recently and I'm finally starting to get back to full capacity. But because last fall I had um, that flare, I still can't believe it. (laughs) It always makes me giggle when I realize that I've been struggling with training for months because of an Elvis costume. But when I dressed up the week of Halloween in that Elvis costume and I made the decision to wear my gold sparkly Uggs to the Halloween party uh, and it incited a plantar fasciitis flare, it really set off months of me not being able to perform in the gym as I wanted to. In the beginning, I was still able to lift, but I had to seriously reduce how much I was walking outside. So we're talking like really low, like under 3000 steps. I wasn't moving much, but I was still lifting in the gym fine. The longer it went on, I actually, and I don't know if it was because of my gait being adjusted because of the plantar fasciitis or just however the interconnections of the body works. And this has happened before when I've had plantar fasciitis flares, I started having hip and glute pain. So pain in my the front part of my hip and like a big, like hard knot in the back of my glute. And so that made lifting actually incredibly challenging to the point that by November, I was only lifting on my left side, not my right side. I could only do unilateral movements, trained my left side, trained upper body, couldn't do anything for my right side except for therapy exercises and stretches. This was incredibly frustrating. It felt like it kept getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. I reminded myself all the time, one, that it sucked and it was okay that it sucked. I definitely was really upset about it. But then I would remind myself of my plan to do my therapy exercises and work the left side of my body and work my upper body. And then the next thing I would suggest, Jen, is take a deep breath and talk back to your brain if it is telling you that you're getting behind or losing progress. If it's telling you like you should be able to do more right now, really talking back to your brain, saying things like, my brain is telling me I'm getting behind and acknowledging that and then reminding yourself that just because you're thinking it doesn't mean it's true. Thoughts aren't facts. Remind yourself of that. When you start feeling like, oh, I'm getting behind. My brain is telling me I'm getting getting behind. Let that thought come. Feel the feelings that come associated with that. Let it move on. You don't have to accept it as truth just because you're thinking it. My brain is telling me this. It doesn't have to mean it's true. I hope you are back to full capacity soon. I know it stinks. I know it does. Well, friends, that is what I have for you today. I hope this helped. I hope you continue on uh, in your journey with your New Year's goals. I'm continuing on with mine and we'll talk soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Fitness Simplified Podcast. I hope you found it motivational, inspirational, educational, organizational. 
If you did find value in this episode today, it would mean a great deal to me if you would leave a rating and review on whatever podcasting platform you are listening to this episode on. It really does help to get this podcast in front of other people. Thanks so much for being here.